McAvoy is a female-founded, family-owned 550-acre farm in Petaluma, California, known for the world's best estate-produced extra virgin olive oil. Contrary to popular belief, extra virgin olive oil is great for cooking. In fact, I use it almost daily for both salads and cooked meals. It's easily incorporated into almost any dish or cuisine, adding new flavors and healthy polyphenols and monounsaturated fats. The smoke point for extra virgin olive oil averages around 405 degrees Fahrenheit and is high enough for most cooking methods. It also has high oxidative stability, meaning that it contains compounds that prevent the oil from deteriorating when exposed to heat during the cooking process. If you're looking to cook with a healthy oil and want the flavors of your food to shine through, McAvoy's Extra Virgin Cooking Olive Oil is a perfect choice. Oh, and we have a special discount just for you, our listener. Use code SPEAKING15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Who was this old-timer, as Andre calls him? Why did he approach Andre? What did he want? And where did he want Andre to go with him? These were the questions going through Andre's mind. A guy comes up to me and says, come here, I want to talk to you, man. You know, I'm fly, my commissary's still good because I still got a couple dollars. And he says, come here, I want to talk to you, man. So I said, what's up, man? What's up, old time? He says, why are you always back there with them guys? So I'm looking at this guy, I'm saying, First of all, who are you? I don't even know you. Why, why did you even take acknowledgement of me? And there's so many individuals around that you could have acknowledged. So I asked him, I said, with all these individuals in here, why are you even talking to me? I don't know you. He said, no, I see something in you, man. I see something in you. And I see that these guys are gravitating towards you but you don't need to be around them. They need to be around you. You're listening to Speaking of Crime with your hosts, Gia and John. From the first time I was incarcerated and found guilty, I've always said, I'm on trial. I've never accepted the time they gave me because I knew it wasn't my time, that was their time. So I've always said to myself, Andre, you are on trial. You will always be on trial until you prove your innocence. And I fought long and hard for my innocence. I contacted hundreds of attorneys. And the public really needs to understand that it's no easy battle. From trying to get a pro bono attorney to trying to get an investigator after your resources is depleted and completely gone, and now you're relying on fixed incomes from grandmothers and mothers and you know siblings who just don't have it, who are living an everyday life, trying to overcome their own hurdles of life. So I've always been on trial. And one of the things that I learned was the law while I was on the inside. I completely told myself, I will not proceed with my academic career until I learned the law. 
and I started going to the law library. So it should be said that how I came into the law, I was on Rikers Island and in being on Rikers Island, I told you I used to use my street smarts. So you used to have the guys who they would gamble because the officers would bring them in dice and we would gamble. So as these guys would gamble, I would watch them. And I said, okay, this is another in for me because I know how to play CeeLo. Everybody knows how to play four, five, six. So now I would get them playing CeeLo. So one day I'm playing dice and an individual comes to me because we used to play for cookies, cakes, candies, anything in the commissary. Or you're gonna owe me money and you're gonna shop for me next commissary. A guy comes up to me, he says, come here, I wanna talk to you, man. So I'm fly, you know, I still got my street clothes and um, my girlfriend's bringing them in and you know, I'm fly, my commissary's still good cause I still got a couple dollars. And he says, come here, I wanna talk to you, man. So I said, what's up, man? What's up, old time? He says, why are you always back there with them guys? So I'm looking at this guy, I'm saying, first of all, who are you? I don't even know you. Why, why did you even take acknowledgement of me? And there's so many individuals around that you could have acknowledged. So I asked him, I said, with all these individuals in here, why are you even talking to me? I don't know you. He said, no, I see something in you, man. I see something in you. And I see that these guys are gravitating towards you but you don't need to be around them. They need to be around you. And I said, what are you talking about? Why, yo, go on your way. Leave me alone, man. He said, no, I'm not gonna leave you alone. Tomorrow, you're going somewhere with me. So I looked at him, I said, I'm not going nowhere with you. I don't even know you. So he said, no, you're going with me. You're going to the law library with me tomorrow. And I looked at him and I stopped for a minute because I had been on Rikers Island for almost six months now, and I've never heard of the law library. And I became inquisitive now because it was a new word to me, a new phrase, the law library. I knew what a library was, but I never knew what a law library was. So I asked him, I said, well, what's a law library? And he said, you just be here tomorrow at four o'clock, I'm taking you. So now tomorrow came and all night I had been thinking about this because this is the first time somebody actually told me about a library of law. And I could remember thinking about it that night and the guys around me calling me and them talking to me and I'm just thinking about what this old time and why he chose me and what made him decide to say, I see something in you. And the next day I waited for him when all, um, my associates who were gambling and all these prisoners, what they were doing, um, I should call them detainees because they had not yet received their sentence. They were calling me to go gamble our normal routine and they were getting angry with me. Why, what's up, why are you standing there? I said, listen, I'm going somewhere today, man. I'm not, I'm not listening to what you guys got going on. I got something to do. And the old timer came to me um, and he said, come on, let's go. And when he took me to this law library, you would have missed it. And what I mean by that is in a hole in the wall and a little place that if you don't know is there, you'll miss it. Every time you go to the chow hall, you will miss this place as you're walking because you're not aware of it. And we went through this little crack in the um, entire jail and it was like a very little room. And in there were about 
15 or 20 men out of the entire population. And he took me to the counter and he said, he asked me my name and I told him my name. And he said, I want to show you something. And he took me to the book. I should say he took me to the counter and he asked the law clerk to grab one of the books. And when he grabbed one of the books, he gave it to the individual. And when he gave it to him, he showed me the spine of the book before he even opened the book itself. Because at that time in 1999, each book had a key on it. And this is before they got rid of all the books and all the shepherds and put them on a computerized system with Westlaw and Nexus Lexis. We used to do, we used to have to read big books. And he said, do you see that key? And I just kept looking at the key in amazement. And he said, that's the key to your door. That's the key to your door. And he started showing me inside of the books and the volumes of books. And he said, if you find the key, you're going home. You're going home. And from that point on, my life changed. My thinking patterns changed. I said, I don't care about what's going on with gambling. I, I don't want to know about anything with my academics because I was still studying. I had my books, my college books sent in with my girlfriend. I said, I don't want to know nothing about these keys is the only thing I need to find. And I would read case after case after case. And none of these cases had anything to do with my case. And later on, I learned that each fact, you'll never find a case that is identical to your facts, but the law is always the same. And I would just be reading cases, whether they were rape cases or murder cases or robbery cases or any type of case just to understand the law and the decision that was made in it. And I would go every day, twice a day to this law library. And then I started to become more engaged and it started to become a community of individuals. Everybody who went to the law library knew each other because we were all fighting for something, our freedom and our family. And as we were fighting for these things, we became a community and we started to help each other. We would share cases. Even though I wouldn't give an individual the facts of my case, I would tell them, what my case was about, meaning the penal law or the criminal procedure law of the case itself. And now we would be finding such keys that entailed freedom. That chance came in reading my transcripts. As I became more of an avid reader in the law, as I became more of an avid reader and understanding the law, I started reading my own transcripts and I started to depend less on an attorney because I understood two things. The first thing, every day he would go home to his family and enjoy dinner and I wouldn't. And the second thing was I needed to go home and do the same thing he was doing. In reading my transcripts, I started to see how my attorney didn't do things. How in the law they say he was ineffective. How he didn't competently represent me or zealously represent me. How he didn't include certain facts such as me not being able to run to commit this crime 
into the jury pool's mind as well as the judge's mind. And now, for the first time, I said, I need an investigator. I need an investigator to investigate my case. Meditation has truly helped me in so many aspects of my life, from reducing anxiety to clearing my mind, managing my never-ending to-do list to helping me sleep. No matter what you're feeling, tap into the Women's Meditation Network and access quick, effective, guided meditations for whatever you need in the moment. If you're anything like me and deal with imposter syndrome or just need a little confidence boost to start your day, I highly recommend their morning meditations for women. I ended and started my day with a quick 10-minute meditation titled An Invitation to Envision Confidence Morning Meditation. It reminds me to tackle my day with confidence and not allow imposter syndrome to seep in at the most inopportune times, as it always seems to do. The Women's Meditation Network includes 11 different podcasts of their guided meditations and music tracks. So go follow Morning Meditation for Women now wherever you listen to podcasts and start listening for free today. Just search Morning Meditation for Women on your favorite podcast app and follow. Or you can visit www.womensmeditationnetwork.com. More calm, better sleep, and less anxiety are all at your fingertips for free. Andre was in the same position that many people on the inside are in. He didn't have the money or resources to access the things he needed, including a good attorney to help him fight for his freedom. Until one day, a simple card in the mail brought with it some answers. I had been in Attica. Attica is one of the worst prisons in the state. As you may know, they had the Attica riot there. And since the Attica riot in 71, I believe it was, the prison itself is a living death. From the officers, to the prisoners, to the staff, you almost feel as if you'll never make it out. So one day I receive a card in the mail. My birthday is my birthday, but it was a late card. So it was about a couple weeks after my birthday. And no, I wanna say it was on the week of my birthday. Yes, I received it late because it was stamped the day of my birthday, but because of the way they control the jail, they hold your mail to examine it for any contraband and all the rest of this stuff. And it's, the litany of it is just, they want you to be so miserable that they do these things purposefully. So when I received the mail, I had saw the stamp that, you know, it was on my birthday, but why I didn't receive it. And then I opened the um, mail itself and it was a birthday card, simple birthday card. I looked at the sender and it said, Tamika Byfield. So I said, vaguely, vaguely, I knew a Tamika, but the last name wasn't clear for me. So I opened the card and she started out with, you know, happy birthday. And, you know, to this day, I still have that card. And she gave me a small summary paragraph, you know, making me laugh. And then she left her phone number. I said, call me, you know, I heard about what happened to you. And I reached out to her. And when I reached out to her and I told her what had happened, she was in disbelief. And I told her, I said, Tamika, I could have never committed this crime. 
you know? And she came to see me. And when she came to see me, it was a regular encounter, but it was just so much joy and love there. Um, reminiscing, laughing about, you know, her parents, my parents, how, you know, she used to be in church, how I used to be with the, the guys running in the street and, you know, just continuous jocular and, and love. And then we started to keep in contact and communication. And as I became, as I got closer, because um, the more you stay out of trouble, they allow you to come closer to New York City. And that's the system that they have in prison where if you're from Buffalo, they send you to Sing Sing. If you're from the Bronx and the five boroughs, you get sent to Attica or Clinton until you can show that you deserve to be closer to your family. And this is the system that they had put in place. And I had at that time been in honors for a while and I made it to Green Haven. And when I made it to Green Haven, she finally came to see me because Attica, I believe, is like six, almost seven hours away from the city on a bus trip. It's an all day trip. So when she came to Green Haven, she surprised me. And, you know, one thing led to another. The visits started to come and now the phone calls started to come. She opened up a phone line for me and we fell in love. And when we fell in love, we got married. And when we got married, you know, it was one of the hardest things for me as well as her because at the time, her parents were just upset about it because nobody wants their daughter to marry a prisoner. And at that time, her mom, um, Mrs. Gloria Byfield, she was enraged because Tamika told her, mom, I love him and I believe in him. He's innocent. And her mom said he has 40 years. And it's to be said that Tamika is a very prominent person in society. She has two degrees. She works for a great corporation. And what would she want with this prisoner? You know, what would make her lose her mind for this prisoner who has nothing but time to do? And as we got married, we went, we started going on FRPs. It takes time to go on FRP because you have to submit applications, they have to look at your record, they have to make sure that you don't have any CMCs, which is central monitoring cases um, in the media, if you're not an escape risk, if you don't have anything heinous that you could possibly slaughter your spouse inside of that trailer unit, anything of the such. So it took some time before we were able to go on a family reunion program, which we call FRPs. And then we were finally able to go into the FRP. And it was Tamika, myself, and, our, and my stepdaughter, Trinity. And Tamika conceived our firstborn son. And when she conceived our son is when my life changed totally. Because now I was at a time commitment to myself. In every given moment, I was trying to catch him before a certain age. Because as I knew it, two-parent households work. A one-parent household will never work because I've seen, although I grew up in a two-parent household, I've seen some of my friends who are just 
absolutely insane when it comes to what their mom is telling them to do. And they're just saying, I'm not listening to you. I don't care. So I understood if Andre grew up in a single parent household, he could potentially start to run the street. And it's something that I did not want and I fought hard against it. And thank God that I'm, I'm sitting here today and he's in a two parent household and you know, Tamika and I are raising him. Andre had known Tamika in college, but they hadn't remained in touch throughout the years. That changed when she reached out to him when she sent him a birthday card just out of the blue. That started a lifelong friendship and marriage that has been Andre's rock through this whole ordeal. Then, as fate would have it, Andre's brother, who was living in North Carolina, visited New York to attend a party. And at that party, he came across someone who would change the trajectory of Andre's future. So I understood that I needed to be home with my son. This little boy, I prayed for for 10 years. I asked God upon being in prison, losing all my appeals, what would be my legacy? Would I die in prison without a legacy? And in seeing him come on the visit floors, come on the FRP, which is a family reunion program, um, you're able to, as an honor prison and keeping up your conduct in prison, um, finishing your programs, and staying out of trouble, you get to go with your family on this site, which is a, a trailer site, for three days. Two days, two mornings and two nights, and you leave the third day. And I would go on that with my wife every 60 days, 60 to 90 days, and I would watch him sleep. And I would watch her sleep. And I would be up, and she wouldn't know these things. And I understood that I needed to come out of prison. I had to do whatever it took to come out of prison. So I read more transcripts and I told Tamika, I said, we need to hire an investigator. We need to reinvestigate this case. And as we started reinvestigating the case, we came across individuals in the case. And I will say totally by happenstance, and this is by no, nothing with the investigator itself, an individual came across my brother, Devon, at a boat ride party. And this individual, Jamel Graham, he's in the trial transcripts, but it was never able to identify who he was because in the trial transcripts, it says Jamel Gray. It doesn't say Jamel Graham. So it had to be a stenographical error, a typo error. So my brother's at this boat ride in 2014, coming into 15, I believe it's 2015. And he comes across the guy, Jamel. And he and Jamel is engaging because they're old colleagues from middle school. And he's like, how's your brother doing? So he said, oh, my brother's not doing too good. And he said, why, what's the matter with him? And he said, well, my brother's in prison. You didn't know? He said, no, I didn't know. I just came back because he had been out of state. He said, where 
and why is he in prison? And my brother explained to him that two individuals had been shot on Allerton Avenue and I was identified as the suspect. And he at that time said, I don't think your brother could have committed that crime right there because Shonda Tyrell and I had a shootout with individuals on that corner four days prior. And from my knowledge, Shonda's the one who shot those guys. Bonkers, as he said it, using his street name, shot those guys. So my brother Devon immediately asked if he would be willing to testify in court for that. And he said, listen, I don't know about testifying in court because I'm not a rat, but I'll think about it. So my brother Devon contacted my wife, Tamika, and said, listen, I got to speak to my brother the next time he calls me. Next time he calls you, please have him call me. It's imperative that he calls me. So when I called him, I'm like, what's the urgency, man? What's up? Because my brother had been living down south in North Carolina at the time. He just came up to New York for the boat ride, for Gritty's boat ride. And now he engaged with this individual for the first time ever. He told me what had occurred. And I immediately said, now, Tamika, we have to get this investigator. Next week, you'll find out whether or not Jamel agreed to testify on Andre's behalf and what Andre and Tamika did next to free Andre. If you're interested in this story and you want to know more about the case, you can check out our social media pages. We will be sharing photos and more information from the case. We are at Speaking of Crime on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and at Crime Speaking on Twitter. Twitter.